Hey, Haley. Yeah, Alyssa? Are you ready to change the narrative around women's sports? Let's do it. You are listening to Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski, and this is the Iron Women Podcast, a production from Lip Feisty Media. Haley and Alyssa are longtime professional triathletes and coaches. Between them, they have completed more than 50 iron distance races and just as many 70.3s. Their accomplished careers include nine professional wins and one fastest known time. Haley, do I have to tell the listeners how many of those wins are mine? Nah, we'll keep that between us. The Iron Women podcast has a Patreon community which helps support our podcast. If you love the podcast, check us out at patreon.com forward slash livefeisty. And don't forget to tell a friend. Now, let's get to the show. triathletes, we should all be committed to fueling our bodies with products we are confident in. At Iron Women, Noon Hydration is our go-to. Committed to clean hydration, a clean planet, and clean sport, Noon Hydration shares our values and we are proud to use Noon Hydration on and off the race course. Plus, it tastes good. My favorites are the Watermelon Noon Sports Tabs, Citrus Mango Noon Endurance, and then warming up some Noon Rest before bedtime. Noon Hydration offers the Iron Women community a 30% discount at noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN. That's N-U-U-N life.com with the code IRONWOMEN. Hey, Haley, how's it going? Alyssa, I think I need to wish you a happy belated birthday. I, I hear you celebrated in a pretty big way over the weekend. Do you want to tell us what you did? Haley, it... Another year has gone by for me. So I am now 35 years old. I cannot believe it. It's like I still feel 24 at heart. And I did celebrate properly with a birthday smash fest. So uh, people who have been regularly listening would know that my coach is Hillary Biscay and she loves big birthday smash fest. It's always been something that she's done. And so typically we pass on those gifts to our athletes and You know, not all the time, obviously, if it's not actually going to work in their plan. But if the time and place is right, you get a big birthday smash fest. And so this year, what I picked, so I was in no shape to be doing 100 by 100, which is like her favorite birthday gift to give as a smash fest. Swimming. Swimming, correct. 100 by 100 swimming. 100 by 100 meters (laughs) in the pool. That's that, that. Anyone who could do that and has access to a pool that's open that long right now. is in a pretty good situation. Exactly. So I only have an hour of swim time at a time and I haven't been swimming nearly enough to make it through 10K of swimming like that. So we went to plan B, which was like very happily agreed upon by me. And I went for a fastest known time. So there's like a trail here called the Wild Oak Trail. And it's also called like the Twat. I guess if you take the Wild Oak Trail, like T-W-O-T, it's called Twat, Twat Loop. And it's like a big, um, they have a couple races here that are like kind of locally run that are, you can race one to like eight laps of that. So you can do like 200 miles on that. It's insane. I mean, obviously not a lot. Wait, of how far is one lap? One lap is 27 miles, a little bit over 27 miles. So 
it's like a legit and there's just about 7,500 feet of vertical gain in that 27 miles. So you climb like you do three big climbs and then some other stuff. So it's a legit, you know, loop. And um, I had run it actually for the first time a few months ago. And I realized that I was only a couple minutes off of the current record for women um, who had run it. And so I had it in the back of my head that I wanted to go back and try and run it hard and see what I could do. And I did. So that was my my big birthday smash fest. I didn't want to totally suffer out there and do it like unsupported. So if you're going for a fastest known time, you get to pick your style. So anything from supported with aid helping you, self-supported where you you can't really do it on this loop, like mail yourself aid. I don't, that wouldn't really work on this one. <laughs> you go to a gas station or yeah, something. Yeah, I could have like left the trail, which would have added a lot. But anyway, I could have done that. Or unsupported where you finish with what you start with. You could just refill from like natural water sources along the way. But which that is definitely possible on this loop. But again, it was my birthday. I re- really didn't want to be like out there suffering in the summertime heat doing this. So I went supported and had my boyfriend, Matt, meet me about 10 miles in with some aid. And then he actually started from the end and ran towards me and met me with about seven and a half miles to go after that. And he had carried in some more aid and some snacks and helped pace me to the end. So I ended up getting that record by 10 minutes. So I'm pumped. Wait, why did you run? What was your time? Five hours, 28 minutes and 10 seconds. Woo, nice. So it was a good day of running. And then... We just went to my favorite winery here. So it opened back up a couple weeks ago and you can make a reservation and you like get to pick most of the wineries have tons of space and they space the chairs out all. So you can like pick your little group of chairs and get a 90 minute reservation and it's just nice and relaxing. So all in all, I have to say turning 35 was pretty nice, but still that number, Haley, I like can't get over it. I'm only about a month behind you, so you can let me know how it, how it is. <laughs> but I'll, I'll, bring, I'll carry the 34-year-old torch for another month. <laughs> what about you? What's been happening in Bozeman this week? Alyssa, I had a really exciting day today. I actually went to a normal grocery store for the first time in quite a while, and I've been shopping more at a, a store, a very small store that I can walk to because I'm kind of lazy. I know that sounds like counterintuitive, but sometimes it just feels like so much work to get in the car and drive to a bigger store. And right now it's just a lot of stress. So a local, st- there's a real small local store that I can walk to and everyone has to wear a mask. So it just, I feel like there's a little bit of less stress involved with that. But today I needed contact solutions. So I went to a big grocery store and I forgot how many, how much variety there is at a big chain store. I I felt like I was at like the Disney version of a grocery store where there was just so many different options of like, if I wanted Oreos, there were like seven different kinds of Oreos. And I, again, it's only been a couple of months, but I had forgotten what that was like. So definitely stocked up on the junk food that I can't get at the local what, store. Yeah, what flavor of Oreos did you pick? I got the like thin, the thins that are covered in fudge. I went for like maximum <laughs> Oreo treat. And I also got some Cheez-Its because I haven't had Cheez-Its in a really long time. And I was definitely craving some of those. I got some healthy stuff too, but that was my exciting adventure. <laughs> Not quite the same as the fastest known time, but these days we take what we can get, right? Exactly. Yeah, you got to ride out the the ebbs and flows. So, um, but I'm more of a double stuffed person. I just want to throw that out there. So, 
double stuffed Oreos. The thin ones, I, I just don't understand. See, that's the thing. I used to be double stuffed. And then the thin ones I like love. I, it's surprising. But the cookie part is real thin too. And I think it's just like a thin little snack. And maybe you can just can eat more. I don't know what it is. But maybe I've gotten to like dainty snacks now. Well, Haley, another exciting part of our weeks was that we got some special deliveries in the mail this past week from Orca Wetsuits. That's right. Alyssa, both of us got our wetsuits, but only one of us has tried on her wetsuit, and that is not me. Can you tell me what you think of your Orca wetsuit? Yes, Haley, I'm super pumped. So I got the swim run wetsuit from Orca, and because I'm hoping to be able to do some swim run this fall, and I am really excited. So I did. I, like, jumped right into it because I wanted to see what it was like, what it was like, and how it's different, and all that stuff, and it's super cool. It, um... It basically, it's all one piece with like to your knees and then short sleeve. And the bottom half of it is kind of like a very flexible neoprene, which is nice because you'll be running, your bottom half will be running in it, in that. So you don't want it to be like thick and cumbersome like a normal wetsuit. And then the top half, Haley, is kind of like this like vest that you just like slide on and then zip up and... It's that's like more of what you would think of when you think of a proper wetsuit material. It's like thicker neoprene, Um, but super easy to like. I'm excited because you can like that's one of my fears with swim run is that when I run, I really get hot. And so I want to be able to have a swim run wetsuit that I can like pull on and off super easy because I'm not going to want to run with it on. I know that. So this seems to definitely fit that bill. It also has like these removable arm sleeves that are neoprene. So if the water is extra cold, I could be using those um there's and swim run wetsuits they zip up the front right yes so kind of just like a it's almost like putting on a vest when you like pull that top half on and zip it right up and then there's pockets Haley there's pockets in the wetsuit which is amazing that is amazing have you tried it out in the water yet or did you go for a run in it I haven't yet, but tomorrow I am going to do a little brief open water swim and I'm bringing that to check it out and try it out and I'm excited. So I'll report back on that. And in the meantime, our listeners can go shopping for themselves at orca.com. And if you use the code ironwomen15, you get 15% off your purchase. And Alyssa, I hear we have a couple mailbag questions this week and One of our mail, well, we did get one comment in our mailbag that sometimes it's hard to find our mailbag email. And so just in case anyone is looking for that email address, it is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. That's ironwomenpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. We will definitely answer those questions or get back to you. And if it doesn't happen exactly one week later, we promise it's in, it's in the queue and we'll get to it eventually. But who's asking questions this week? Haley, we have a question from Martha and she just got her very first brand new bike. So congratulations, Martha. That's always like a very exciting time. And she's wondering if we have tips for how to keep her prized possession like new. How often does she clean the chain? How does she even do that? What does she look for with tire wear? How many miles before they get replaced, etc.? Haley, I know that are you, you did some research. I was just yeah, about to you're say. Ready. You're so ready to answer this. I'm just going to let you take it. So I do, I have taken like an increased um, interest in bike maintenance because I quickly realized that 
if you do certain little things, your bikes do last longer and they can, you will not be spending as much money on like unnecessary things um, as you would if you just let these kind of ride until they're broken. So definitely a great question, Martha, to be asking about bike maintenance. So that said, I'm not an expert yet, but I'll give you what I do. So if I'm riding and it's like, I'll ride in any weather conditions. So I might be riding in the rain and all of that. If that's the case, then I'm washing my bike pretty much every time I'm using it um, and cleaning the chain, which basically now that it's summertime, I can take my bike right to the little, like my apartment complex has a hose. And so I take it to the hose and I just literally hose down that and I use um, some Dawn dish soap and I just like scrub the bike, scrub the chain, take a little toothbrush or like an old scrubber brush and get it clean And then I use chain lube after the bike is dried and I just lube the chain lube with that and like kind of run it through the system. So if I'm not riding in rain, then I would say my bike probably doesn't get cleaned more than once a month. But, um, you know, I would say if you do that once a month, you'll be in pretty good shape. And a good tool to pick up next time you're at your local bike shop is a chain tool. Um, Like a, I don't know if it's called a chain tool or like a chain chain fit, chain sizer. I don't know. They'll know what you're talking about if you're like, do you have the tool that tells me when my chain is stretched and I need to be thinking about replacing the chain? And they'll point you in the right direction. They could probably hopefully show you how to use that. And that little tool, if you use that on your chain, it'll help guide you of when you need to be replacing your chain. And if you are on top of replacing your chain, you will have to not replace your like chain rings and your cassettes as often. So if you let your chain run its like full course, it's going to really damage the chain rings and the cassette on your um, rear wheel and stuff. And then you'll end up having to buy like all of that new instead of just a new chain. So keep that in mind too. And then in terms of tires, so the tires actually have like these little divots um, in them. And it's like a little round speck if you look closely at the rubber in the tire. And when those are like made to tell you how... Um, much wear is on the tire so that if it's worn so much that it's no longer like an indentation, then the tire is pretty worn. Um, A lot of times, depending on the roads you ride on and things like that, it's good to just like once a month do an inspection on your tires and see how they're wearing and make sure they're in like pretty decent looking conditions. Odds are if they look pretty worn, if they look like square, things like that, if you also ride on the trainer or things like that, then it's probably time to replace your tire. Um, I also would like to recommend if you go to parktool.com, so parktool makes a lot of like bike maintenance tools and things like that. They have something, if you scroll down to the bottom and then you click repair help, they have this little thing on the website where you can just like click on where the problem is on your bike and they kind of help you narrow down what could be going on, things you could do, some maintenance for those parts and things like that. So that's always a website that I use when I'm trying to kind of like brush up on my bike maintenance skills and I need some help. So that's a good place to start. But hopefully your local bike shop will also be helping you. But I know like Haley, your local bike shop is like, you know, pretty backed up and stuff. I haven't even had to, you know, knock on wood, go into mine to check like their log time. But the more you can do these things right now, I think is really helpful so that you don't end up in like a four to six week backlog. That's true. I talked to, I've talked to my local bike shop here in Bozeman. I also interviewed 
Edie Stevens from a bike shop in Georgia. I did a, a mini episode on that a couple of weeks ago. And both shops, I think, had five to six weeks backlog on maintenance. And a lot of people are buying bikes. A lot of people are getting out on bikes. A lot of people are bringing in bikes that haven't had much TLC in the last decade and getting maintenance done on them. And I did actually talk to a local mechanic here actually just earlier today. And he said they've gotten to a point now where they can handle quick, small things like fairly quickly. But if you needed like a major overhaul, it is going to take several weeks before they can get you in. So definitely do those little things. Like Alyssa talked about, take care of your, your, like you said, your prized possession and hopefully it will, uh, it will last a long time for you and, and be in great working order. And Haley, we got another mailbag in this week from, so once again, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com goes right to our mailbag. And Haley, Lily wrote in and Lily is across the pond. She is now in, she was in England. She's now over in Scotland working in community music. And she wanted to write in requesting that I do play the piano. She listened to the episode with Elizabeth Beisel and we said, if anyone writes in and says it, um, you can also hear me play the piano at an at, during our outro after we had Elizabeth, who was quite talented, play the violin. And uh, we had Betty write in. We had now Lily write in. And so, Haley, we will be doing that um, at the end of the episode so everyone can stay on for the outro. But, Haley, Lily also had a mailbag question about uh, motivation because – she was really kind of like rolling really strong until the lockdown happened. She also had to like move during the lockdown. And since then, she's just really struggled with motivation. And she's had okay time like enjoying running and cycling, but she just doesn't have an aim. So she's wondering our tips on motivation there. What have you got? I'm punting this one a little bit to one of our previous guests. We've had uh, Dr. Kristen Keim, who is a clinical psychologist and sports psychologist who works with a lot of Olympians and a lot of regular, regular athletes as well. And we've had her on for two full shows and one mini episode more recently. And one of the things that she's always said is that motivation is an emotion, not a muscle. And by that, she means that it's not something that just gets stronger and stronger the more you work it. It's something that's going to ebb and flow and go up and down, just like an emotion. You're going to have good days where you're very motivated and you're going to have not so good days where you're not as motivated and that's okay. And that's perfectly normal. So I think going off of her advice, it would be to be kind to yourself, to realize that this is a stage that you're in right now to recognize that, that you're struggling and it, it everyone is, I mean, not everyone, there might be a couple of people who aren't, but I, I think most everyone is struggling right now. I struggled. I've struggled definitely in the last couple of months with certain days where I just was like, Oh man, uh, the last thing I want to do is go for a run even and, or get on my bike. And I think that recognizing that is the good first thing. And then recognizing why I then push forward. Is this going to be productive? You know, is my reason for not wanting to, because I'm tired because I'm not feeling well, or is it just because I don't feel very good and may, I mean like psychologically or just, you know, don't feel like it. And if it's the latter, then I might just hop on the bike and just see how it goes. And I've found that some days I actually end up feeling better after I've gotten myself going and I'm really glad I did it. So, so definitely like check in with yourself, allow yourself to feel kind of unmotivated and then know that things can change. I like it. And Haley, 
You know, I think we've had a lot of people also writing into the mailbag recently who never thought that they would like be motivated until they started thinking outside the box a little bit. And the hashtag inspired by Lail, if you've been listening to our past episodes, are a great um, you know, indication of that, that sometimes the motivation doesn't have to be there for a race or some like, you know, huge thing. It could be something smaller, like running the loops around the lake outside your house, you know, that's like right out your doorstep and something you just had thought about doing and never really had time to do before. Or, you know, it can be something, you know, big or small, but just thinking outside the box to like a different kind of challenge and realizing that motivation doesn't have to be this like thing that's going to drive you to do something massive, right? I think that's an important part. Very good advice, Lisa. And I do want to go back to, you mentioned another person who requested you to play the piano, Betty Janelle. And I just want to give Betty Janelle, who is a big supporter of the podcast, big supporter of myself, a shout out because she recently found out she is cancer free. She's in remission and I'm super, super excited for her. So thank you for writing in Betty ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com is our email address. And thank you for getting Alyssa to play the piano as well. And congratulations to you. I'm excited for Alyssa's upcoming piano playing. I haven't heard it yet. So I'm, we all are going to hear it at the same time and it's going to be very exciting. Congratulations, Betty. Thank you for listening. And you will get the piano playing at the end. But first, we have a great interview for everyone today. That's right. So today we are talking to Summer Rappaport. And Summer is the only U.S. triathlete currently qualified for the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. She qualified when she finished fifth at the Tokyo Test event last August in a super crazy race that featured insanely hot weather crashes and a couple very high profile disqualifications. Even with all that chaos, summer did clench that Olympic spot. And she tells us about that race and what it's like to qualify for the games and then have them postponed for an entire year. Summer tells us about her athletic background. She impressively swam and ran collegiately at Villanova university. And she tells us how that led to a professional triathlon career. We'll have our conversation with Summer Rappaport right after the break. Iron Women is proud to be supported by Form Goggles in 2020. Form Goggles are the only swim goggles with a smart display that delivers metrics like split times, distance, pace, and more. And it's built right into the goggle lens. You can also analyze your metrics outside of the pool with the Form Swim app, because what triathlete doesn't love data? Head to formswim.com to learn more about the Form Swim Goggles and pick up the missing link to your swim bag. Hi, Summer. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you guys today. So I'm pretty sure that you're joining us from your home in Durham, North Carolina. And I'm on the East Coast as well. I'm up in Charlottesville, Virginia. And so I know that things around like our area region are beginning to kind of open up slowly in different phases and stuff. So can you tell us just how you have been doing these last few weeks with the coronavirus pandemic and like how you've been handling kind of this weird time as an athlete, if you've been keeping things normal or just kind of toning things down a bit? Um, I am in Durham, North Carolina. When everything started, I was still in Montegordo, Portugal with my training squad. I was there until, I believe, March 23rd. And then it was starting, everything was getting canceled. It was starting to look like I might end up stuck in Europe for a while. Or it would be very, very difficult to get home if I waited to come home. So I made the decision to fly back to the U.S. My husband moved to Durham from San Diego in January. So I was coming to a place that I had never been before. So that 
trying to figure out a new place in a pandemic is definitely a challenge. Um, but, um, yeah, things are starting to gradually reopen in this area. Um, I've been able to run and ride pretty normally throughout this whole thing. My coach has brought our training level down a little bit because of the, we don't know when we're going to be racing again. So we're just trying to build a strong base and make this year sustainable because next year is going to be the big year now. And the big peak is going to be next year instead of this year. Um, so I mean, still a big problem for me as it is for a lot of people. And I think that's been the hardest thing also to navigate being in a new city. So I go on these bike rides and I see all of these lakes every day when I go on a bike ride and I'm like, surely one of these I'm allowed to swim in. But it turns out almost all of them are either on private property, they're managed by a city and they're drinking water, so they don't allow people to swim in them, or they are run by a state park, which were closed. And the state parks are starting to reopen. We're in phase one of our reopening as of Saturday, but the state parks decided not to open the beaches. So it's, <laughs> it's an ongoing process. <laughs> Even for Olympians, times are hard. <laughs> summer last, last summer, you placed fifth in the Tokyo Test event for the Olympic triathlon. And as the first American in the top eight, you secured the first spot for women's triathlon on the U.S. Olympic team. So how has your Olympic prep evolved, both, I guess, physically and mentally, when you go from the Olympics happening in the next six months to the Olympics happening in 18 months? Yeah, it's... It's been a challenge. Um, you know, there are days when I would say like every third or fourth day I go on a bender and start just like go, I go on Google maps and I start clicking on every body of water I have, like I can find just like, have I checked this one? Can I swim here? Like sometimes I just feel like I'm not doing enough. Um, but then I remind myself that I have to be gentle with myself and the target has moved 18 months out now where I think right now my problem isn't necessarily that I'm not motivated. I feel very motivated to do what I can do and try to expand what I can do. Um, but I think like a lot of people, um, I'm just very limited by A, what's safe, and B, like what's available. Um, so I think that's been one of the hardest things to navigate. And I mean, I think that as triathletes, almost all of us are type A personalities. We don't normally have big problems with motivation. Like we tend to overdo it. Um, if I'm being honest, I think that I speak for a lot of us <laughs> um, and just kind of shifting to that mindset. But it's so strange um, preparing for the biggest event of my career and not being able to train normally. This is certainly not a position I ever thought would be the case. Um, and I had a huge winter of training. Um, so it's just crazy to think that all those yards that I did, like all the big training sessions, I mean, and I might not even get to race this year, I mean, let alone with the Olympic postponement. It's just a strange position. So if we look back on that test event race in Tokyo, it was actually a really crazy race. So if people remember, there was extreme heat. 
which meant the run was shortened from 10K to 5K. And that made many people wonder if the race, which had no prize money and no WTS series points, would even count toward Olympic qualification either. So while you were racing that, was this idea that like this huge race might actually be just a workout going through your head like at while you were like on the start line there? Well, so... Every day at 3.30 in the morning, the ITU was having a meeting at the race course to evaluate water quality standards and temperature forecast, temperature and humidity forecast for the day to see if it was safe for the race to go on. And then after their meeting, they were sending out daily emails to the athletes um, for the update. So when I got back from my shakeout run at 4.20 in the morning, um, I had an email in my inbox saying that the run had been shortened. Um, and I mean, my first thought was, is this even going to count? Like, do we just have this huge training block and this massive taper for no reason? And then something else is going to count. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I did is I went to one of the USAT staffers room. Luckily, everybody was awake at 430 in the morning because I know for, for most athletes, uh, I believe we were a seven o'clock start. I know that's not early for the average triathlete, but that's very, very early for ITU athletes. Um, <laughs> um, so the first thing I did was I went and I asked one of the UT USAT staffers if it was still going to count. We, um, dug out the criteria and I, I don't remember the exact wording of the clause, but it was something like as long as each distance was a sprint distance or longer, it would count. Um, the event would still be a qualification race. So luckily we were able to get that sorted out within probably 15 minutes of, the email coming out um and then they notified everybody else as well but there is also the question of how it was going to change how the race played out because obviously even though it counted for us we didn't know who it was still going to count for um and Lusanne was only two weeks later and there was a lot of that was a major event for everyone and for some athletes in the end Lasan might have had um more weight on their qualification than Tokyo did because of the changes so nobody really knew how the changes were going to affect the race and also with a shorter run would it make the run and the bike harder like how would it change the dynamics of the race um and it was it was kind of just crazy the whole way through there were the disqualifications at the end um the crashes um, that probably was one of the highest attrition rates from a front pack in a bike that I've seen. When I was in the front pack, I think I got dropped on lap three. I think there were 12 to 15 people in the pack, and by the end, there were only six. So actually, when I came off the bike, I didn't really think that I had a shot at qualification because I knew we were pretty far back. And I definitely gotten a little bit down in my performance on the bike a few times during that race, so I thought I was pretty far out of it. Um, and I definitely didn't realize that so few people were still in the front pack. A lot of people had either gotten dropped into my pack or dropped out of the race for various reasons. Um, so, I mean, there's just so much going on and so much chaos that entire morning. Um, it didn't even hit me when I crossed the finish line that I had the spot. I was pretty sure I was the first one in the top eight, but I had made the pass with maybe 200, 250 meters to go. Um, I was in a sprint finish with some athletes from other countries. So there's, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Given that you're, you're f kind of familiar with 
this state of uncertainty. I mean, how you qualified for the Olympics was so uncertain. And then your current state of being is so uncertain. Do you Mm -hmm. think this has made you like mentally stronger to handle whatever life throws at you next, which hopefully is like a pillow. It's something nice and soft and easy (laughs) or like, you know, a pizza. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think us athletes in general are, tougher than most people in the average population I mean we're so used to in especially in endurance sports we're just so used to anything happening um anything going right or anything going wrong that I think it's a little bit easier to mentally reset and just be like okay this is what's happening I'm going to deal with it like and then just like finding a path forward and I I don't think that that's a skill that everyone in the general population has but I see it a lot in the triathlon community so Summer I realized that you probably I probably can't get you to like pick your top Olympic teammates right (laughs) but um you are obviously familiar with the the women who will be vying to go to the Olympics with you and so can you get like shed a little bit of light on who you think could add to that team to help you round out the U.S. triathlon squad and like bring a medal to the U.S. for triathlon well the great thing about the U.S. women's triathlon team is anybody who is good enough to qualify is good enough to race for a medal or good enough to be a potential medal contender. Um, We had athletes one, four, and five in the World Triathlon Series last year. Um, We had another athlete who was fourth, I believe, two years earlier who had been injured, so missed most of the season. And then we have a number of up-and-coming athletes. And to be honest, we have athletes that won't even get starts for the qualification events because you have to be ranked in the top five in your country in order to get a spot for the qualification events or to be guaranteed a spot. It's possible for the athletes to roll on after the wait list has cleared, but it's, it's hard. The depth in the sport on the women's side has really grown over the past quadrennial. Um, but those athletes could race for a spot in nearly any other country. Um, so, I mean, I think that if you look at any of the names in the, who of the women from the U S team who start world triathlon series events, they're a potential contender to be on the team. So with this bonus year that you have right now before the Olympics, are you working on any specific areas for improvement to, to put yourself in metal contention uh, outside the swim, obviously, but your swim is already good. Um, Yeah. A couple of things that I'm working on an ongoing basis are improving my bike skills and also my mental skills. And those are two things that definitely go hand in hand. Um, One of my challenges on the bike has been bike handling skills, and that's definitely been correlated to developing mental toughness and developing resiliency and kind of, I've done a lot of mindfulness training to help with that. It's helped me focus on being in the moment and just dealing with what I'm being thrown and what's happening in the moment because ITU bikes tend to be pretty chaotic, um, a little bit intense. Um, anybody who watches the world triathlon series knows that there's pretty frequent crashes. Um, so there's just a lot of stuff going on and there's definitely been times in my career where I haven't been able to, refocus after something's gone wrong for me or I've been behind a crash and gotten spooked in a race and that's something that I've been working on a lot since the beginning of 2019 
Well, I mean, I was working on it before, but I started to find more effective methods of working on it at the beginning of 2019. And that's something that I've been working hard to continue developing um, during this time. Can you share any specific examples of bike handling drills or, or mindfulness tech tactics that someone could practice at home right now, even if they're training for an Ironman? I mean, we might only have like three turns, but we want those turns to be really good. <laughs> um, well, on the mental skill side, I use the Headspace app to do daily meditations. And while it's not triathlon specific, I find that it has helped me get into a Headspace where... I'm very in the moment, um, and my endurance, like my mental endurance, has improved. Um, like I can cope with, like before, like maybe I would have one good lap on the bike, and then the wheels would kind of come off. Where now I can focus for longer. Um, so it's it's really improved my focus, and that's something that's really critical for bike handling. Um, and then as for skills. Um, I try to work on improving on descents. And when I'm with my training squad, we do a lot of kind of crit style work in parking lots uh, to kind of mirror the demands of ITU racing. So we can have people setting up courses on the, in their driveways or their neighborhoods doing yeah. lots of U-turns and back and forth and so, things like that. Yeah. And, it's easy um, to set up a figure eight to work on 180s. It's something anyone can do anywhere. And Summer, you swam and ran cross country for Division One Villanova University, and we recently chatted with U.S. Olympic swimmer Elizabeth Beisel, and she gave us insight as like a collegiate athlete, but she also had her own insight into like her childhood where she grew up setting her sights on going to the Olympics. So is that a dream that you shared as well? Like from a, your early childhood, do you remember wanting to be an Olympian? Absolutely. I started swimming when I was nine years old, a couple weeks after the Sydney Olympics ended, because I was so inspired by specifically the swim team in Sydney that I wanted to do what they were doing. Um, I definitely had big dreams of going to the Olympics. Um, it kind of sounds crazy that even though I had these big dreams, I, it's also crazy to think that they, it actually led me to qualifying for the Olympics. Um, it's just such a small percentage of people accomplish that, that it still feels very unreal. Um, and I mean, I, during my swimming career, I definitely went through plateaus and big times of frustration. Um, and I feel very fortunate that I found a pathway into cross country and track in college and then later triathlon, because I feel like I would have just been so frustrated if my career had just ended with constant plateaus and swimming because I, in the end it turned out that I did have the potential and I just needed to ex continue exploring other sports and other things that I might be good at and enjoy um, and continuing developing my my mental skills and my physical skills. Elizabeth also gave us like insight I guess into the toll that it took um, or it can take on a child who has these like huge dreams right and they have the physical ability to like achieve them where they're going to these nonstop early practices. There's also these social dynamics that come into play of being really young and being put with like older kids and things like that. And I think looking at my friends who are swimmers, especially, I think that your early childhood or your childhood in general just is shaped by swimming when you're a swimmer. Cause it's just like so much swimming. Right. Do you feel like your early years were like shaped 
differently by the experiences of being a competitive swimmer? Or do you think that you kind of always had other avenues with other athletics that kept you a little balanced? How do you, you know, like when you look back on your childhood, are you like, no, it was definitely that, you know, putting me on the path towards the Olympics, even if I didn't know it at the time? Yeah, I think that my background was putting me on the path to Olympics or at least, um, extreme dedication towards one pursuit or another, even if it ended up not being in sports. Um, from a young age, I was completely dedicated to swimming. My coaches wouldn't let me do other sports. Um, I was doing double swim practices every summer from when I was 11 years old on and then doubles during the school year from when I started high school. Um, Pretty much all of my friends were on the swim team. Um, Being a competitive swimmer from a young age is definitely all consuming. Um, And that's actually part of what led me to seek out running when I was in college. I wanted to do something just to switch it up my freshman year of college when the swim season ended. So I signed up for a running road race. And I got pretty fortunate because my swim coach was a triathlete himself. So after the race, he saw that the time that I ran, he thought it was pretty good and encouraged me to talk to the track coach about walking onto the track team. Um, And at the time, the cross country program was the two-time defending national champion. So that was a little bit intimidating. Um, I guess to put it into context, um, we shared a locker, the swim team shared a locker room with the cross country and track and field teams in college. And the hallway we would walk down to get to the locker room was completely covered in all American certificates. So, I mean, I knew that they were pretty good. And I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that Gina Picaccio, the track coach, even gave me the time of day. Um, she told me that if I ran the walk-on standard, I could walk onto the team, and I did. And I, I wouldn't be doing triathlon right now if it weren't for my swim coach, who, A, recognized my potential, and B, let me do more than just swimming, which is so, so rare in a swim coach, and C, the track coach being willing to take me on which you definitely didn't have to do. The team was not lacking for athlete, good athletes. <laughs> this story is amazing to me because as someone who did swim in Division One athletics, I can't imagine doing two sports. How how did you schedule things? And did, did you sleep? How, how was school too? Um, so I was fortunate enough to have a lot of credits coming into college from AP courses. So by the time I was a junior and senior, I only needed to take four courses per semester instead of the typical five for a Villanova student. Um, And my sophomore year, I ran outdoor track. My junior year, I did cross country and outdoor track. And then my senior year, I did cross country, indoor track, and outdoor track. So I kind of gradually added a season as I went through my college career. I swam all four years. Um, But yeah, it was by the time I was doing four seasons of sport my senior year, it was pretty crazy. I was competing pretty much every weekend. Um, I was, I was, the only way it was possible was because I had a low enough course load that I had enough free time to do my homework during the day instead of having an extra class with extra work to get it done. And how did your teammates on each team feel about you uh, doing, being on another team at the same time? Was there any weird, weirdness in that? They were pretty supportive. Um, 
the runners were excited to have another teammate and I was eventually able to consider contribute to the team. So they were really supportive of that. Um, and then I think that the swim team was really surprised that I had the ability to contribute to such a good program. So I, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to have good teammates on both sides who were very open-minded about the whole thing. And so at this point, you still haven't done a triathlon, right? So was it that same swim coach who after graduation was like, uh, also now I would like you to try triathlon and see how you do it. This little thing, like, did that coach put you on a bike? How did that go? Um, he put me in touch with Barb Winquist, who is then running USA triathlons collegiate recruitment program. So I joined the collegiate recruitment program a couple weeks after I graduated college. Um, I pretty much showed up. They uh, let me my first road bike. I didn't actually know what a road bike was before then. Uh, like I didn't know it distinguished it from other bikes. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it, it took a long time before I was able to improve um, on the bike and be able to start a draft legal race. But that was like that was the very beginning. Um, and I'm really fortunate that the collegiate recruitment program existed in that form then where there is the residence program where you came in and you were in a group environment where you had, a, you had a coach, like you had housing and they really helped kind of kick off your entry into the sport. Because I think starting triathlon as an ITU professional is very cost prohibitive just because the demands of travel in particular are so consuming. You can't really work. Um, so it definitely makes it tough. And I don't think I would have been able to get into the sport without the CRP. And do you feel like the swim team or the, the running that you did in college was like better prep for getting into triathlon? I have to ask. Uh, <laughs> I think swimming, but I also say that because I really am glad that I don't have to swim six times. Well, I will after my seven or eight weeks off of swimming at least, but, um, that at least the past few years, I haven't had to swim six times per week when most of my teammates have. <laughs> so I, I got to sit in on a call with you last month that you did for the USA Triathlon. You did for one of the youth development teams, the Dynamo, Dynamo Juniors. So what are your thoughts on the opportunities for young athletes from both these junior high-performance teams like Dynamo Juniors and also NCAA triathlon. I, I kind of am like curious if if Summer had been a collegiate athlete now, would you do triathlon, swimming, and running? <laughs> well, Villanova doesn't have a triathlon program yet. Um, so unfortunately, I would not have been a five. Well, I guess if you count each season, I would not have been a five sport athlete. Um, but I'm really excited to see new opportunities for youth and junior athletes growing. Um, I think that the NCAA program started a year or two after I graduated college. So there wasn't any overlap at all with when I was in, in school. But it's just really good to see the sport grow. And the youth and junior generation, that they're really the future. Um, and it's really great to see USA Triathlon investing so much in, in that generation. Have you talked athlete. to other teams? Is this like a, I just didn't know exactly how this was organized. Is, is USA Triathlon being like, okay, Summer, here's your 10 teams that you're going to inspire the youth. Um, have you been talking to a lot of young, young athletes? Uh, I've actually just spoken with Dynamo. They've paired each of the athletes on the national team with a different team. 
And I so will I add, think... you were you were very open. I think you even gave them your phone number, which was uh, yeah, quite impressive. <laughs> Have they been texting you nonstop? Like, are you? <laughs> a few of them asked me a few questions. Um, but I, I remember what it was like to be in their shoes, um, to be a young athlete on the brink of college and just trying to figure everything out. And I feel like I didn't have a good third party resource. Like I feel like a lot of my resources were biased in one direction or the other. And I I feel like it's good to have somebody to reach out to who can give you advice who is a little bit less invested in your life sometimes. And who's also been there. I hope they are taking advantage of that. And on that same call, I asked you about sponsorship and I was really shocked to hear you say that your Olympic qualification hadn't led to any new sponsor partnerships. So can you tell us a little bit about sponsorship in general for ITU athletes? Are you, are you financing a lot of your own travel or is USA triathlon and, or, you know, how is the sponsorship environment, I guess, even before the pandemic? Um, well, I am fortunate to have USA triathlon finance pretty much all of my travel. Um, what I do would not be possible without USA triathlon and the investment that they've made in their national team and the Olympic pipeline. Um, that is not the case for athletes from every country. I'm in a international squad. So, um, I feel like I, I hear quite a bit about the financial situation or how federations, like what they do or do not do to help some of their athletes compete. So I, I feel very fortunate to race for the U S. Um, I, I have had some good product support, um, support in general over the years from Roca and the New York Athletic Club, and I've also been working with Polar and Princeton Carbon Works, um, and they've definitely helped me bridge the gap because even products alone would be cost prohibitive to a lot of people in the sport. Summer, back in March, you posted something for International Women's Day, and you posted photos of you training with your closest female training partners and wrote kind of about how you've seen like the shift in women's sports where women are now kind of cheering for each other and lifting each other up. I think you actually tell a story about like riding by another team of women and you kind of like cheered for each other, you know, um, just seeing another group of women athletes out there. And so ITU athletes are constantly training in squad environments really. And so have you like, has that been a true shift for you? Like when you were going, getting into the Olympic development program with like um, you know, a squad and other women, was it a little bit more of like a cutthroat environment or were women, you know, have you been lucky enough to kind of always been in the environment on the latter half of things where it's more of lifting each other up? Um, there have definitely been a few times in my career where I've been in environments where I don't necessarily feel like it was spearheaded by the athletes themselves but I feel like there were athletes in the group that were kind of pitted against each other and that kind of led people to develop feelings that they wouldn't have otherwise um but I'm really fortunate to have the training group that I have now we have a great group of 10 women who every day work to encourage each other and lift each other up um help each other through the hard sessions and be there with the hugs on the good days and the bad days um and that's really made a big difference in, I guess, my general attitude about showing up to workouts. I'm excited to get the work done with them. I know that they're there for me and I'm there for them. Um, and one of the, the challenges about my current situation is that 
I'm married. My husband has a normal nine to five job. He can't travel with me a lot of the time because he can't, he can't do his work remotely on a different continent. Um, so I'm away from my husband a lot, probably as much as six, seven months a year at times. Um, and it would be impossible for me to be gone that much without the amazing support of the other women on the triathlon squad. Do you think that a lot of like creating the good environment that you're in now comes from coaches or does it come from like spending time with each of the other women and getting to know each other and investing in not only the workouts together, but also in kind of getting to knowing each other and and caring about each other? Definitely a mix. Um, I do think that at some level environments are coach driven. Um, I've been in environments where coaches have kind of been like, Oh, like so-and-so had this performance. Why can't you do that? And I think that that fosters a lot of animosity among athletes. Um, but coaches being positive towards their athletes and towards the group also is a little bit mood if the group isn't willing to work with each other and help each other out and be there for one another. So I I think that it, it matters on both ends. Summer, earlier this year, you said that you'd be spending less time on social media and spending more time focusing on being present in person and reading. Can you tell us a little bit about what was behind that decision? And then I'm, I'm always looking for book recommendations. So if you have any of those for us as well, that'd be great. Well, my social media presence has definitely increased a little bit since I came home. Um, <laughs> I've definitely had a little bit less to do than usual. Um, but for the first three months of the year, I have been doing a good job of staying off social media. I, I don't know. I just don't feel that good when I'm on social media that much. I feel like it's kind of a negative place. I feel like people spend a lot of time on social media trying to kind of project an image of themselves instead of telling the truth. Um, and I say that because I, I, you talk to people, like, you, you know what they're going through. And sometimes you see what they post on social media and you're like, no, I talked to you yesterday. Like, this isn't, this isn't real. Um, and I just realized it wasn't healthy for me because it made me feel like I had to kind of be something that I'm not. Um, so it was really healthy for me to take a step back. Um, and it's definitely something that I'm working on paring back down. Um, (laughs) So sorry if you don't see me posting much. Um, And I have been reading a lot. So one of the things that I've been doing to fill my time is I found out that there are free online classes on edX.org, I believe. Um, And I took a China and communism class and I started reading a book that had, um, there was an excerpt that we read for the class Life and Death in Shanghai, and it's a really interesting account of a woman who was a political prisoner during the Cultural Revolution in the 60s. So it's definitely a niche read, but I was a political science major in college, and I feel like East Asian politics is something that we didn't touch on that much. So it's a subject that's very interesting to me. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. And I'm actually, I have actually taken an edX class before and they are fantastic and free and at your own pace. Um, going back to social media, I have a couple follow-ups. So first follow-up going back to social media, have you had any sponsor backlash on, you know, from, from less posting? 
Um, I have not, but I actually need to send something over to somebody to post today. So I, I definitely need to do that. So thank you for the reminder. <laughs> and then my second follow-up, being a political science major and being so interested in politics, or I guess even politics of other countries or just political history, do you ever think maybe you'd run for office? Um, when I was younger, I did. I don't think so anymore. Um, I think that I'm not entirely sure what I want to do after triathlon, but I think that I'd like to do something a little bit more hands-on in the community. Well, we'll let you focus on the Olympics for a while here anyway. Before <laughs> you have time, I feel like otherwise. community <laughs> organizer can lead to big things. So you got to start, do the Olympics first, then it, you never know where it might lead. <laughs> And Summer, a fun fact, I, I haven't even talked to you about this before, but so you mentioned your husband and I actually know your husband from when we, I had moved back to Charlottesville and he was on the UVA triathlon team. I think, was he a grad student at that point? Do you even know, was he a grad student at that point or undergrad he did still? His, he did his undergrad and his um, grad year at UVA. So it might've been at any point during that okay. I, I think it was his grad year, but anyway, um, so very small world that I actually, I do know him pretty well. I haven't talked to him in years, but I did know him at that point. Um, and so anyway, you mentioned that with him, you guys are kind of in, and you, you post this on social media too, like a long distance marriage at times. I mean, you could be away for seven months of the year and you know, this is the guy that you're married to. So in the world that we're in, everyone's kind of finding themselves separated from loved ones and friends and family and all of that. So do you have any tips of outside of like a Zoom meeting, right? But like of how have you guys found creative ways to stay connected when physically apart? Um, the biggest thing we do is that we talk every day. Um, I know that that's not anything novel, but just carving out a time to just be engaged in each other's lives has been the biggest thing that's made a difference. I mean, there's times where one of us is on the road and we can't talk because we're, we're traveling for 24 hours um, and it just doesn't work. But I would say that when we're apart, 99% of days we talk. Um, and sometimes it's just for a short period, but just covering like the most important things and being present and engaged for each other really has really been important for us. And Summer, since I have gone down this rabbit hole of what you should do with the rest of your life, um, going back to the more, more, I guess, more nearer future, um, we have seen some, you know, some successful transitions from ITU athletes to longer distance triathlon. We talked to Chelsea Sidero a couple weeks ago. And do, do you have any interest in doing non-draft legal racing, 70.3 Ironman someday? Is this too big of a question? Should we let you get through a couple <laughs> Olympics? A couple Olympics, then you could do this. And then you can go into like whatever poli-sci career you want. Um, I mean, yeah. Could you just tell me what your, the rest of your life is going to look like? <laughs> You know, I don't want to rule anything out. I have a hard, hard time imagining myself in long course. I really like the, I really like how in ITU you're just with people all the time. It's just constant head-to-head -head battles, and I feel like I really thrive in the constant head-to-head -head battles. Um, this is, I guess, this is kind of a little bit of a divergence, but I feel like one of the reasons I struggled as a swimmer is because swimming is kind of tame. Like you can't really like see people a few lanes over. Like I just like. I like racing people. Like, I don't want to like go out and try to beat a time. Like I want to, I want to beat people. And I feel like in ITU, like 
you're just you're always with somebody you're always next to somebody races come down to sprint finishes all the time and for me that's just really really fun for the record i'm sure Haley and i could both tell i think we both have at least one sprint finished in long distance travel. <laughs> <laughs> but that's out of many many races so i it's guess you so are much more fun when you've <laughs> already gone 140 miles or whatever that sounds it's- so much worse <laughs> but Silver thank you so much for coming on Um, we wish you all the best getting used to your home in Durham hopefully you're able to explore some more and things continue to open up down there for you Um, I'm sure you'll find a great group to swim with too there Um, but thanks so much we wish you all the best with this bonus year and we can't wait to see what you'll do in Tokyo thank you so much for having me it was great to chat with you guys triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Well, we recorded that interview with Summer back in May, and we are happy to report that we checked in with Summer and she did, after talking to us, find some pool swimming type of options as well as been getting back into open water for the past few weeks. So not to worry, everyone. We have summer swimming away down in North Carolina, getting ready for Tokyo 2021. I'm excited to watch. And Alyssa, before we uh, like debut your piano playing, I do want to give Lily, who, who requested this, an open invitation. Lily is a music instructor and... So if Lily or any of our other musically inclined listeners want to send us a 30 second clip of them playing any musical instrument, they can send it to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we might play it at the end of a future episode. I'm kind of excited. Maybe we have some like very musically talented listeners. I can't wait to see what we get. So send those in everyone, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime... Here's Alyssa. Thanks, Alyssa. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Haley.
You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Taylor Mahan Rudolph. Thank you to our sponsors, Zillio Skincare, Noon Hydration, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear, as well as the Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find websites and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com.